Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. In Citizen of the World, Dr. Montessori writes, What is most wanted is no patronizing charity for humanity, but a reverent consciousness of its dignity and worth. This next conversation with professor, consultant, and author Donna Hicks explores her most recent book, Leading with Dignity, How to Create a Culture that Brings Out the Best in People, which was published by Yale University Press in August of 2018. Her dignity work is the result of her unofficial diplomatic efforts to bring peace to places in conflict around the world. Our discussion takes us into the importance of dignity work in classrooms and how our awareness is the beginning point of that work. Welcome Donna Hicks to Montessori in Action podcast. So delighted you're here today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. I was hoping you'd start the conversation out by sharing with the listeners some context um, by offering an overview of leading with dignity or your dignity work in general. Well, I came about this book, Leading with Dignity, in a kind of circuitous way. I mean, it's a very long story, but I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to tell that long story because we don't have enough time. But basically, I, my field is in international conflict resolution, and mm-hmm. I've worked all over the world on some of the most intractable conflicts. And while I was doing facilitating dialogues, I, I discovered that this issue of dignity kept coming up, but people weren't talking about it. They weren't naming it, but they weren't they were, you know, unwilling to even discuss it. But I ultimately learned and realized that this is a fundamental human issue that's at the core of mm-hmm. just about every conflict, not just international, but human conflict, mm-hmm. you know, conflicts with your families, conflicts in your organization, schools, everywhere. And I, I realized that I had, if I were going to share this insight that I had to write about it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, le- that leadership was one of the most vulnerable areas with dignity. Because if leaders don't understand mm-hmm. the importance of human dignity, how everybody wants to be treated as if they matter. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether you're a CEO or whether you're, you know, a, a three-year-old child. Mm-hmm. You you want to be treated well. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just one of those fundamental universal human truths that I feel that I stumbled upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it took international conflict, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I mean, I'm doing lots of leadership work now in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's even a chapter, entire chapter in the book about educating young leaders to become young people to become dignity leaders. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically how I got to to understand the Montessori experience because it, 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 you know, I was invited to give a talk and I did a little research and realized that, oh my gosh, there is so much similar about the Montessori approach to ch- child education mm-hmm. that I feel, because my, my basically my background is in human development. I don't mm-hmm. know if I told you that mm-hmm. or not, no. Elizabeth, but mm. 
my PhD is in human development. Mm. And I've always been looking at those stages of human development mm. and what people can do at certain stages. And, but for me, it was all about the dignity of, you know, at the, at those stages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, very long story short, I ended up deciding to write that book, Leading with Dignity and hoping that people in leadership positions could get a grasp of the fundamental necessity as leaders of treating their people with dignity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I even, you know, w- feel most strongly that it's our job as educators to make sure that we're putting this topic on the agenda. Yeah, yeah. And as I said before, we have, having, um, researched the Maria Montessori's uh, approach, we're, we're like, you know, hand mm-hmm. in hand mm-hmm. with this, even though we're coming at this, it's such, from such different angles. Yes. And, uh, so I, uh, you know, when I was invited to give a talk at the, your conference, your annual conference, I was just so excited mm-hmm. because I knew that, as I said, education, I think, is the way to go. And to be able to share my insights with all of the Montessori people there, mm-hmm. um, and for them, and, and equally as important, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. they shared their insights with me. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a real camaraderie, mm-hmm. I guess, I think mm-hmm. I would use that word, mm-hmm. at the, at that time to, uh, during that time together. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled that I had that opportunity to meet so many wonderful Montessori educators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was wonderful for me. You know how when you, there's a something that you are so familiar with and you know and you live out every day and then someone languages it for you, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, putting words on it, at least for me, illuminates something and gives me some agency because now I feel I'm sort of a, have some autonomy around whatever the concept is. And I loved the language of dignity and of course immediately ran out and got your book. And it, as you mentioned, connects deeply to the Montessori work when she says from citizen of the world, what is most wanted is no patronizing charity for humanity, but a reverent consciousness of its dignity and worth. So the word dignity is through her whole writing, how I could have missed it all this years. I, I don't know, but it was lovely to have you bring to the foreground, um, that piece. And I wonder after that weekend, um, in Baltimore at the conference, speaking to Montessori leaders, what did you what did you take from that? What came through from your work with Montessori leaders? What was most obvious to me was how much of a partnership we're in. Mm. I didn't I didn't know it. I don't think you knew it uh, in terms of my your connection, you meaning the Montessori, you know, representing the Montessori um community. I I think that there was uh a sense that there was going to be a simpatico here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when I understood the depth of um, wisdom that the Montessori um, participants in this uh, re- workshop that I did, the level of um, understanding, you may not have used the same words that I used, mm-hmm. but knowing... Um, knowing that we were really at the same starting point, mm-hmm. that uh, it wasn't something like I had to go into great detail about what mm-hmm. dignity is and mm-hmm. why it's important and mm-hmm. this and that. We were already there together. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was a it was a beautiful sharing of a fundamental platform mm-hmm. from which we educate. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like, oh my gosh, we can just go deep here. We can really go mm-hmm. into some nuanced areas. And I think that's exactly what happened. So that was my big takeaway that and and honestly, I um I do lots and lots of these um events like mm-hmm. I did giving the keynote at a major conference and stuff like that. And never before have I felt like I was embedded in a community that was already so mm-hmm. mindful mm-hmm. and and determined mm-hmm. and determined mm-hmm. to make this a um a real agenda mm-hmm. item for for education. Mhm. Mhm. Well, we were talking at, before we started recording about Dr. Montessori's concept of cosmic task and the idea that every human is born at a certain time and a certain place under a certain set of circumstances with certain gifts to be able to make a unique contribution to the world. And you write in your book, it was so satisfying to come back and read on page 75, um, think of the difference we could all make if we knew from a very young age that we had the potential to contribute to the well-being of the world as well as to our own personal fulfillment. And the idea of the role of dignity in the cosmic task work, right? So we understand that our um, role as educators is to help the 6 to 12-year-old come in touch with their cosmic task, but to understand the role of dignity in that, that we are dignifying each one of those um, people. And this links to another part in the book where you're talking about the stages, the first one being dependence, right? Like we're, we're starting to become independent and trying to figure out how to do this. Then it starts with the adults affirming so even in first plane of development, that affirmation of worth, would you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, children, um, you know, children who haven't developed a lot of sophisticated cognitive skills yet, you know, kids like infancy to, uh, I don't know, let's say five, because mm-hmm. you're, that's your cutoff, isn't it? Yes, um, it's true, for yeah. zero to six. Uh, see, see, they... What my experience is, you know, I'm deeply embedded in the, the whole Piagetian uh, development framework too, which is also very similar, I must say, to mm-hmm. uh, Maria mm-hmm. Montessori. But what what um, what I feel is true about that first plane of kids, you know, the infancy to five, is that they have their sense of knowing how they make meaning is all dependent on how they feel. Mm-hmm. Their cognitive sophistication is still, you know, not quite, you know, even emerging that much. And so what they know about the world is based on how they feel. Mm -hmm. And when you take someone who's in that, going into that second plane and give them a language, give them some words Mm -hmm. to attach to that very deep emotional understanding of how the world works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you can give them words Mm -hmm. to like, you know, when somebody mistreats them and they, they feel bad, they're, you know, they're feeling like there's something wrong with them. You can give those, give them words to say, Hey, wait, Mm -hmm. you may be feeling bad, but you're not bad. Mm -hmm. Something Mm -hmm. bad happened to you. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, just think of that reframing for a six year old. Mm -hmm. You're not bad. Something bad happened to you. Mm -hmm. You had your dignity 
hurt Mm -hmm. and injured. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just got to tell you this story of one of the teachers who worked with one little guy in, um, I think he was, I think he was in third grade. Mm -hmm. Her class was third grade. And she told me that this one, one student was very shy and he was often bullied. Mm. often the target of bullying and mm-hmm. he was probably a bit on the spectrum and um and she was always so worried about him and when when she introduced the idea to her students that they were going to learn how to become dignity leaders mm-hmm. and really help create a world where everybody is treated well mm-hmm. i mean you know, you don't have to get real Harvard analytical with these <laughs> kids. Mm-hmm. You just got to talk their talk. Mm-hmm. And and she said, this this little guy, when he learned all the language of dignity, because her first task was to make the principles of dignity, she called it kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so once she introduced that language to them that they could understand, she said, this boy just came alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he became, he was so skilled mm-hmm. at, mm-hmm. you know, naming dignity violations. Mm-hmm. He was skilled at understanding the impact. He knew what it felt like. He can talk about what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said he, you know, she actually every, uh, every week, I think she designated somebody the dignity leader of the week. Mm-hmm. And he was so often the dignity leader mm-hmm. designated mm-hmm. and not only just by her, but by her, their, his classmates. Mm-hmm. So that, that was his cosmic moment, mm-hmm. you know, where I think he realized, oh my gosh, I, no wonder I was feeling bad. Mm-hmm. I had my dignity injured, you know, mm-hmm. no wonder I felt bad. And, and, and so he became this champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had I mean, all this sensitivity, others, all yeah, this sensitivity did, to others and to understanding what that feels like on the receiving end. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it started by knowing, you know, from a more of an experiential point of view, not a cognitive point That's of right. view. That's right. That's right. He learned the cognition after he had had those formative uh, emotional experiences of being treated badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was in a, um, a group workshop after, um, being with you and it's around this Nautilus approach, which is a, a sort of constructivist or Montessori approach to, um, settling things that come up in the classroom. And I was listening and hearing every single one of them was a dignity violation, right? Every single conflict that was happening in this elementary setting was because of a dignity violation. It was like insightful to recognize Right? Doesn't that something you can't let go? Somebody, you know, it's, you know, they take your pencil or it's a real estate issue or whatever. That's much easier to let go of and compromise on. But when you feel that your dignity has been in, you know, there's been a dignity infraction, um, harder without language and without knowing and understanding what's just happened to get into a real constructive conversation about it. So true. Yeah, that's a great example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so lovely to hear you're bringing this work um, from leaders also into schools and as young as elementary schools and thinking about how we can't move this consciousness earlier 
We do a lot of thinking and talking about identity formation, especially because Montessori works with much younger children than in traditional education. Um, and so Montessori schools are there for the whole identity formation, like who you believe you are is developed in the context of a Montessori school. And maybe the school that will, will be the one you, the longest you go to of your whole life. After that, it's in these four-year clips or two-year clips, right? Um, but you're in this long chunk of being in the care of adults in these three-year age cycles where your teacher is the same teacher for three years. And so um, this really tacking into it, I wonder if you've had insights or thoughts come forward around particular strategies for educators to instill worth, the sense of worth and value um, for their students in, in everyday classroom moments? Well, I, I, I think, I don't, I'm, I don't feel like I'm an expert in that area, uh, but I can tell you my, my initial thoughts about what would be a, you know, a good way to approach that. And, and that is that when, when we're dependent, when our sense of worth is dependent on how other people treat us at those tender young ages, mm -hmm. at that, you know, infancy to, um, how old with three, how many, how old did you say? Three? Yeah. Four? So there's yeah. a NIDO or a, um, an infant toddler program that then ends at, and then there's primary, which is three to six. Well, in that, those formative years that mm -hmm. you're talking about, I think, you know, it, and I think of it as, B those kids being in a dependent stage of understanding their dignity. Mm -hmm. So what that really boils down to is that they will understand their worth based on how they're treated by people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a big job to put on <laughs> teachers at the same time, you know, um, it's such an important role, yeah. you know, modeling the behavior um, mm -hmm. for them and showing them mm -hmm. what those, you know, I've got the 10 basic elements of dignity and mm -hmm. showing them consciously in, you know, as the teacher having that in their mind that, um, that knowing they want to be treated fairly. Oh, because little kids talk about one of the big elements of dignity for children is fairness. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing that two, two siblings do when their mother gives them candy is to look and see, you know, who got more than who got the most. So they have this inborn sense of fairness. Mm -hmm. They, they know what safety feels like. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they want to be understood. They don't want to be scolded and punished if they didn't do something. Anyway. So I think modeling that those 10 elements just as a starter mm -hmm. is a way to think about, you know, really practically applying this and showing a kid, uh, showing kids their worth is to be really mindful of, of what it looks like to honor mm -hmm. dignity. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, lots of people, lots of teachers do this just naturally mm -hmm. and automatically. So I'm not, not suggesting this isn't something that's already being done because it is. But just being more mindful yes. about the impact um, of applying those dignity honoring skills mm -hmm. to little ones, mm -hmm. I think, because, you know, they aren't, they haven't begun to push back and want independence and understand their own dignity. You know, mm -hmm. they're not ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. They need to feel it. As I said with this little guy, with one of my teachers talked about, little guy who wanted to become a dignity leader. He knew, he knew on the inside mm -hmm. what it felt like. And, mm -hmm. and I think it, trying to 
trying to get uh, little ones from, you know, who've had vastly different experiences. I mean, the other thing is that, you know, yes, teachers have a lot of impact, but so do the parents. Right. That's right. And so, you know, you're, you know, who knows? I mean, honestly, we just don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt, uh, par- all of us parents that we treat our mm-hmm. kids well, but you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ignorance, by the way, just as an aside on this topic, the ignorance surrounding this issue of dignity is so pervasive. Mm, and, mm. and yes, we, we sort of think we know what it is, but at the end of the day, it's something that we all have to learn mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. and to just fortify what we already know and get better at what we don't know. So, so helping them through ways to, I mean, which is another topic, but, ways to address and um, negotiate even uh, conflicts with, with little right. ones. Because they get into them, you know, they can do right. But right. I'm sure the Montessori, I'm sure the Montessori uh, agenda has that. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure they have that. So <laughs> yes. no problem there. Well, and another thing the Montessori agenda has is the idea that part of the prepared environment is the prepared adult. And that it, you know, when you said, oh, I know this is a big ask to be the role model, but that is what you accept when you go through your Montessori education is that you are, that you know, especially the younger they are, they are absorbing everything you say and everything you do. So the words we use, well, that's why we stress at Public Monastery in Action, this idea of language of reverence, that we're, uh-huh. we're using words that are holding the dignity of every human. So instead of saying, he's giving me a hard time, to say, oh, he's having a hard time, right? Mm. Um, that if somebody said I was giving them a hard time, I would push back. But if someone said I was having a hard time, I might feel more seen in that moment, right? So, sure. so you're sort of preaching to the group here about the prepared adult as mm. being it. And it, it's um, bringing me to the part in your book where you talk about our own self-talk, um, and I wonder if you'd share a little bit about that, because that was wonderful and meaningful for me, because oftentimes when I'm working with adults, I'll hear their own self-talk coming out in the ways they're talking about themselves or about their work in ways that maybe they aren't aware. Um, but it is so pervasive in our culture to have a, a harshness on ourself that we would not have with children or others that we care about. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because one of the things that I've discovered, no matter what group of people I, I work with, cause I work, I mean, yes, I work in education, but I mean, I don't actually do the work. I, the, I train teachers to do the work, but I work in, you know, international conflicts and, um, corporations and healthcare. And, you know, mm-hmm. I work with leaders in all kinds of different, um, uh, different areas. And what I discovered, and which kind of surprised me, but then at the same time, after I thought about it, it didn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. But so few people in these top leadership positions, no matter what the, you know, the area of focus was, they didn't have a strong connection to their own dignity. Mm-hmm. They, they just, mm-hmm. it's like, the self-talk about the self-talk, mm, they were, mm. you know, they could be highly critical. I mean, oh, my, I screwed up or mm. I did this. Mm-hmm. I made such a big mistake and I was so embarrassed that I couldn't 
tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the language mm-hmm. of self-doubt, mm-hmm. the language of self-doubt mm-hmm. was so pervasive, mm-hmm. no matter where I was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, then that means to me that my first order of business <laughs> is to get people to claim their birthright. Yes. Because I have a simple definition of dignity, which is that we all have our inborn value and worth. Mm-hmm. We have dignity when we enter into this world, mm-hmm. even before probably, mm-hmm. but but and and to get people to really claim that yeah. because most people think that their dignity comes from their accomplishments. Yeah. I can feel good about myself if I get that promotion, if I get, you know, um paid enough so I can buy the new car or the house or provide for my family mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is, you know that it, it's external mm. sources of their dignity. Yes. And breaking that because mm-hmm. just think about it, if you don't fulfill uh you know those aspirations for a new job or new promotion or whatever, you end up taking the blame for it. Like, mm. oh, I didn't work hard enough. Mm. I didn't do this. I'm a loser. Mm-hmm. I'm whatever the self-doubt language is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just getting people to recognize that, yes, it feels good to accomplish those things, mm-hmm. but your real sense of dignity comes from y- your birthright. Yeah. You enter the world with it, mm-hmm. but we haven't yet claimed it. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was even true for myself, mm-hmm. I have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I often say, and I think I might have with your group, I often say that dignity was following me around all my life <laughs> until I turned around and look at, looked mm-hmm. at it mm-hmm. when I was doing this international conflict work. It's like, oh... Wow. Will you tell the story about Mandela consciousness? Yeah, yeah. So I was, um, I I, I had the complete honor and privilege of working with Archbishop Desmond Tutu um, and on this one project, many projects, but this one in particular, I met him in Northern Ireland when we were uh, working on a BBC, some television programs. Um, And I remember once... uh, having a discussion with him while we, while we were uh, working together or after we had finished work well, one night, we were sitting around and he said, so Donna, tell me, how did you arrive at this dignity stuff? You know, this is such a important topic. He said, how did you arrive at it? And I said, well, you know, um, I said, I was working with these parties in conflict and they would always tell me that they had their dignity stripped from them by the other side, mm. and they're fighting to regain their dignity. And Tutu said to me, what? And I said, what do you mean, what, what? You know, he said, you're telling people that they can have their dignity stripped from them? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not telling them that. That's what they're telling me. And he said, he got really upset with me. And he said, don't ever, ever perpetuate that myth mm. because nobody can strip us of our dignity. Mm-hmm. He said it can be injured, it can be trampled upon, and we certainly have to heal from those injuries. He said, but our dignity is in our hands and our hands only. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you know, he said, Mandela was really, uh, this is what got Mandela, Nelson Mandela, the president of South Africa. He said when he went into prison, you know, they put him into this prison for 27 years, and when he went into the prison, he figured out that um, he had to he had to try to understand what the guards were up to so that they could survive. He and his 
political par- partners, uh, the political prisoners. And he said, but you know what? Didn't take me but 20 minutes to figure out what the guards tried to do the minute we got in there. They were trying to strip us of our dignity. Mm-hmm. And and Mandela said, well, I knew that I was going to be okay because no man or no institution was going to take my dignity from me because I would never let it go. Mm-hmm. I will never let my dignity go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tutu and Mandela, they both believe that having that strong claim and hold and connection to their own dignity was what got them through mm-hmm. such inhumane treatment mm-hmm. during the apartheid regime. Mm-hmm. So I, I call that in my book the Mandela consciousness mm-hmm. because when you think your dignity comes from something else other than that pure inborn sense that I am worthy no matter what, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, once you stray out of that, I'm going back to the negative self-talk again. Mm-hmm. You can self-doubt is right there yeah. waiting for you. Yeah. yeah, it's right there at the doorstep mm-hmm. waiting for you. It reminds me of a, a something a teacher said to me, which is insults are arrows that are slung at you, but they land at your feet. It's you who picks them up and stabs yourself with them, and it's the same idea. Like, okay, so maybe your dignity is injured. But nobody's making off with it. It's right there. It's you who decides to undignify yourself or take your own dignity away as a result of whatever happens. Um, and that has always just been so powerful in my mind. Like, am I, am I stabbing myself with this? Like, turning it around in my head or can I just let that go? Yeah. That happened. And now what needs to happen next? Well, you know, it, it is, it's funny because, um, I think about this quote by Einstein where, no, was it Einstein? No, it wasn't Einstein. It was, um, the guy, oh, Edison, Tom, the guy who did the electricity. Mm-hmm. He was, he was just a beautiful dignity person. And, and he, he was interviewed, uh, by someone asking him, a journalist, I think, asking him about all the failures that he had. Mm before he figured out how to make the light bulb or how to make electricity, you know, work. And the interviewer said, yeah, how did you, how did you grapple with all those failures? And he said, failures? They weren't failures. Mm-hmm. I just figured out what didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the kind of self-talk mm-hmm. we have to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we make a big mistake, mm-hmm. even if we screw up and end up hurting somebody or hurting ourselves, what we do, how do we, how we react to those circumstances, what meaning, we're going back to meaning making again right. here. Right. What meaning we make of that, if you don't have that profound sense of your dignity being lodged in your soul and it's there to help you mm-hmm. um, because that can be a refuge under circumstances like that mm-hmm. you're that mm-hmm. that dignity resides deep in our soul mm-hmm. and if we we you know I have a f- colleague who talks about um, our inner sanctuaries mm. uh, that's where dignity lives mm. in our inner sanctuary and we can go there to nurture ourselves when we're feeling like assaulted or dignity has mm-hmm. been violated or even that if we mess up and mm-hmm. we make a mistake, mm-hmm. we can, we can nurture ourselves back to that strong, uh, worthy place. And because, you know, the other thing about Mandela and Tutu, what they taught me is that, um, once you have that dignity in place, it's a source of resilience. Yeah. 
you can bounce back. You mm-hmm. know those Bobo dolls that mm-hmm. you remember those Bobo dolls? You, if you take a hit, take a dignity hit or you hit yourself, uh, mm-hmm. you can, you can always find your center again. Mm-hmm. You can always align with your inner dignity in order to, um, psychologically restore mm-hmm. that sense of balance inside you. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love the connection to resilience. That's mm-hmm. tremendous, right? The ability to withstand or recover from hard situations. Recover, yeah, mm-hmm. to recover. That's mm-hmm. a good word too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about dignity and thinking about its place in classrooms and in schools. Well, it's such a pleasure. I feel like I'm I'm a part of a new community. So mm-hmm. thank you yeah. and everybody else in the Montessori world for including me. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, Donna. You're welcome. Our show is a project of Public Montessori in Action, elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade. Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.